I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. Welcome to The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and we're here at the Cafe at Books and Books in Carl Gables with two of my favorite people. We're here with Marcy Cancio Bayo and Lisette Mendez. Lisette and Marcy are two of the people I work most closely with throughout the year, but even more closely this time of year when the Miami Book Fair is upon us. And today on The Literary Life, we're going to talk about the Miami Book Fair, its history, what's happening this year, and we might even get into some other book fairs around the country and talk about the importance of what a good book fair can mean to its community. Marcy and Lisette, welcome to The Literary Life. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. You know, I'm going to start with a little story about, I guess, about 20 years ago or 25 years ago, I sat on the board, I sat on the committee that chose the Silver Knights Award. And the Silver Knights Award, for those of you who don't know, is an award given by the Miami Herald to a top student, but not just a top student in a particular um, discipline, but it's a student who also does a lot of community work and a student that overcame lots of odds in order to become a top student. And I remember uh, this 25-year-ago uh, panel that we were on reading the, um, the essay that was written by 
uh, this young woman who was, I think, at Jackson High School. And the, the, the essay she wrote was about how, as a young girl, she was brought to the Miami Book Fair and how that completely turned her around in terms of her interest. And she became a lifelong reader because she was at the Miami Book Fair. And um, it was kind of amazing. I, this was not the English award, obviously, that was given. So, of course, she won it uh, after that incredible essay. But it made me realize, after about doing the book fair for 10 years, the incredible impact that it had on people in this community. And now we're celebrating the 35th Miami Book Fair. And I'm no longer on that committee, but I can only imagine the kinds of essays and the kinds of stories that people in Miami have about the Miami Book Fair. And I know both of you uh, are instrumental in making the Book Fair happen, but both of you have stories about the Miami Book Fair too, because I'm an old guy, you guys are much younger than I am, and went to the Book Fair when you were much younger. And I thought that I would kick it off by asking Lisette, who grew up on Miami Beach, some of her early memories of the Miami Book Fair. Oh my God, the Book Fair was like what everybody thinks of as Christmas or Hanukkah for me was Book Fair every year. I would get so excited. Um, I was thinking about the other day how the the booklet would come in the Miami Herald. So the you know I would run out to um, you know to those yellow boxes that we used to buy the paper do they even have those anymore i don't think they have i don't see them anymore they've gone the way of paid telephones I yes think. so i used to run just to get uh you know just to get the guide on that day and then start planning what i was going going to go see i i think i went how old um, were you when you first went right i think i came to, i went to my first book fair i was definitely i was in high school um i mean i started high school in 1985 so you guys it was probably like the, the third year um was my first year and i've only missed one book one book fair since. Um, since 1985. Yeah, that since was 1985. our third book fair. It was in 2001, I have to say. And I had to go away for the ho- for the Thanksgiving holiday and I missed it. Uh, but I've been to every book every book fair since. I mean, I've had, I've discovered so many writers. I discovered so many writers. I re- And I've met my best friend, one of my best friends, Nadie Gomez. She's in New York City now. She's a filmmaker. Um, I met her online waiting for Sandra Cisneros to sign our books. And that was, I don't know, early 90s, 92, 93, maybe. Um, and we're still friends today. I, I could probably spend two or three podcasts talking about all of the life-changing experiences I've had at Book Fair. Stephen King, and Rice at the church, which is a story that you often tell people. Um, and I discovered people like um, like Doctorow, who I had never heard of at that time. And what year was that? Like late 80s? It was about the late 80s. You know, 88, 89. I mean, I was, what, like a junior in high school, maybe a senior. And I was like, wow, who's this guy? You know, I remember reading um, so you know all of Doctorow after seeing him at Book Fair that year. I think it was Ragtime, but maybe I, I misremembered. Now, now, you came over when you were how old from Cuba? I came over from Cuba um, when I was eight years old in the Mariel Boatlift. And I grew up, I mean, I learned how to speak English in the Miami Beach Public Library, basically, because, I mean, I went to school. I was one of only like three kids in the entire school, my school, North Beach Elementary, who spoke any uh, Spanish. And so the three of us were in this room together, like doing ESOL, but there was we weren't in the general population or anything like that. That was a very difficult time. There was no one in Miami Beach at the time now. It's like this beautiful multicultural 
community but back then especially up in that area there was really no one who spoke spanish well um, the first book fair was 84 exactly and um and you were a young girl who was just learning english basically well i had to really learn i mean i, I was i must have been a quick learner because i i only remember a very short period of time that was and the one thing that was the most traumatizing about that short period of time is that i had nothing to read i mean i was a big reader when i was little in cuba books in spanish obviously and then we come over to the u.s and there are no books in spanish anywhere and uh, there was only like one spanish bookstore in little havana and we lived on miami beach so that wasn't even a possibility and we didn't have money for books i mean we had no money i mean we lived in this like tiny one-bedroom apartment on south beach it was like me and my mom and my grandparents that were here in the u.s didn't have money for and books you went on to a literary career because you became a on. poet yes i did i did become a poet i um and a writer for a long time and um i would say that the three biggest influences in my life besides my own mother have been Books and books oh. when they open in Miami Beach. I'm not making this up. I say it all the time. It's not because time. I'm giving you free coffee. Huh? Not because, no, I'm not even drinking coffee. What are you talking about? There's no free coffee here. You're getting it. You're um, getting it. But this is absolute truth, and I've said it for years, even before I had anything to do with Book Fair. The bookstore, once it opened on Miami Beach, it gave me not just this whole other place other than the Miami Beach Public Library at which to buy books, but you guys used to show the, the first films. The yeah. first independent films in Miami Beach were shown inside the store, the Alliance. That was like their first spot. I remember the pull-down, um, you know, you know, the whatever that's called, where you would project the images, the screen, the pull down screen sitting in the store where it was phasing. And then from there on, like it seemed like the bookstore on the beach for me was like the crossroads of all this cultural stuff that was happening. You know, luckily for me, I was still living on the beach. Right. So it was the Alliance was right there. And then all the art center and all those artists and then all of the music scene that was also part of Lincoln Road. And I've always lived either at one end of Lincoln Road. Now I live like in the middle of Lincoln Road almost. So the store and then the book fair. I mean, all the all the different authors, you know, you're talking about students and how that that made i mean i remember and like the accessibility having, to the accessibility oh otherwise okay to this day this is what i talk about the most all the time when it comes to why i think um book fair is so important because there's i know that if there was one person like me back then there had to have been a hundred others because i am just about as regular as you can get and there are probably a million others now in miami that Miami, you know, since Miami has grown so big and has become so diverse, um, who have no other way of accessing the caliber of books, the caliber of thinker, thinkers, the kind of writers, and how easy and it is, and how not non-intimidating. And ninety percent of it is free. More than ninety percent, I would say, considering yeah. that the only thing that we really charge for is um, admission onto the grounds. Right, admission onto the grounds, and every other room, what eighteen rooms going all day long, Saturday and Sunday, all of that is free. And for me, I could just anonymously flow in there, and nobody would know that I was like, you know, a a kid who was poor and didn't you know, had just come from another, you know, like nobody knew that about me. Like I could just walk in at the time it was completely free and I didn't stick out everywhere else. I've always gone. I've always felt like I was the odd one out even here now today, probably. But at book fair, 
I never felt like the odd one out. You know, I still don't feel I like the odd one out because no matter where I went, it wasn't about me or how I looked. There were a lot of other people who were came from the same places or looked exactly the same, and I could hide there and 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 get all of it. And, and then and then you started working for the Miami Book Fair. Yeah, that came a lot later, but yes, <laughs> that was always a weird dream, but. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I always thought, oh, if I could work anywhere, this is where I would work, right? Of course, I didn't really pursue it as such because only like, I mean, who who would get to work there, you know? like And tell us what you Important role people. Um, so now, I mean, uh, how many years has it been now? 14, 14 years, I guess, since, since I started working at Book Fair. And I am the programs director and I work with you. And I work with Marcy, who's sitting here to my right, and a lot of other really, really incredible, talented people. Yeah. I mean, really, I always say that the most important thing about Book Fair for me is the team of people that I work with. And then, of course, the fact that we can offer all of this to anyone who wants to partake. Absolutely. And and Marcy, we have another poet here. I think poets are attracted to the book fair, at least to working at the book fair. Or just to jobs that and, make and, you money. That's very yeah, true. Yeah, poets need jobs. Uh, Marcy, so you're relatively new to Miami. In in the yes. I mean, you're almost a native, being here seven years or so. But oh, is that is that the cutoff? That's the seven year mark is the, the magical but, year. But you came when you were in your early twenties, and, mm-hmm. and tell us why you came to Miami and your first experiences with the book fair. So I came down as a a graduate student in Florida International University's MFA program as a poet. I knew absolutely nothing about Miami. I hate the heat and humidity, so I wasn't even sure why I was down here. Um, But in my first year, I met Lynn Barrett, who ran the Florida Book Review, and she said she needed live bloggers for the book fair. And so my roommate and I... Uh, asked her if we could do it and whatever that entailed. And she said, oh, that just means going to panels and writing about them. Uh, And so I didn't have a car, so we carpooled downtown. And that that was my first experience with being completely overwhelmed by uh, once you get in the gates, all of the tents on the street and all of the things happening. I looked at the schedule and, and Lynn was like, oh, you could just do anything, cover whatever you want. And I was like, I don't even know where to start. Um, but that that was uh, that was actually the 30th anniversary year, I think. Uh, no, that was a little before that, 28th yeah, year. Yeah, probably about the 28th. Um, yeah. Do you remember and anybody you saw that year that really sort of blew you away or something you really liked? <laughs> uh, I think that year, Lee Young Lee was there. Yeah. And I my... my uh, undergrad advisor was also here who's a poet Jim Daniels and he caught me in the hallway on the way to see Leung Lee and we were catching up and then I realized that the the presentation was already half over and I couldn't get into the room I got locked out of the room and I was so sad uh, let but- that be a lesson to all you fair goers I know tickets went on sale today so oh, yeah. yeah well today we don't know when today will be well that's true <laughs> so whenever you hear this go online and look for tickets but so you got locked out of that room because it was too I, too many people i huh? did the security oh, guard great. was quite adamant and um, now your position <laughs> at the fair is what and now i'm the program coordinator for the poetry program and the children's program it's my first year as a children's program coordinator and how many poets do we have coming? we have 34 poets coming 
that doesn't include the National Book Award. Which are another how many another six, possibly seven poets coming in. And how many children's writers do we have? We have about 67 children's authors. So all told, a little over 100 authors. Um, yeah, I had no idea that this could even be a job. I thought that as a poet, you're being trained to, to adjunct forever in the comp pool. Uh, but I, I got a job part-time. I think Lisette interviewed me for the job. And I was the assistant for the kids program. And I was like, I don't really know anything about kids literature. Well, the beauty is that you guys have been able to make your avocations your vocation. Mm. And both of you have found, what I found as a bookseller, a kind of way of articulating your own interest um, and at the same time having a life that you can you know, buy groceries and do all of those yes. other things. So <laughs> it's not easy in the literary world, as we all know. But, you know... the. the I know that it, it wouldn't surprise you because I know you know the history, but the history of the fair is that we started as a two-day festival. It was on Friday and Saturday. Did you know that? I did not know you that. You didn't know that. It started two days. And we always did a Friday in order to get all those school kids to come. And so we wanted a school kids day, and then we wanted a regular day. And that very first book fair, I think we had about 70 authors, including James Baldwin and Amiri Baraka, and we had... I think that first year we had Robert Creeley, we had, it was kind of pretty remarkable. And we had confirmed, um, uh, Borges was confirmed to come, but he didn't come. He was too tired to come. He, he made it as far as New York and then didn't make it all the way down to Miami. But that very first book fair was kind of like, build it and they will come, and people came. You know, Miami in those days, which is maybe harder for you to, really remember um, nobody thought of Miami as a place where anything serious happened at all. Marielle had just happened um, Miami was inundated with 600,000 people that the city the, the county had no idea what to do with there was no federal funds coming um, and there was, was a also a lot of crime there was I a mean, lot of this crime. is the high point of the cocaine wars well that happened a little after the that in the, in the mid 80s that yeah. happened and But at the same time, Mariel brought some of the most amazing people. Ronaldo Arenas came on Mariel. Uh, Lisette Mendez came on Mariel. There were, it was a really rich, rich time. But we weren't able to see that yet in Miami. We didn't understand how important it was to the development of Miami. But downtown was, was, was moribund. It was falling apart. Uh, the reason why the book fair happened to a large extent was to bring attention to downtown Miami and make people understand that in downtown Miami, good things could actually happen beyond Miami-Dade College, which, which was, at the time, the best thing downtown had going for it, as well as a library that was about to be moved and changed. But the early days started uh, thir you know, almost 30, 36, 37 years ago, um, I was a bookseller. There were a couple of other booksellers, a guy named Greg Pollock, who had a bookstore in South Miami, and Raquel Roquet, who had a bookstore downtown. And we were brought together uh, by Eduardo Padron, by Dr. Padron, who said, who had just been to the um, Barcelona Book Festival and loved what was happening there. And we, I was doing a little book fair here in, Miami, in Carl Gables. 
There was a little fair going on in South Miami, a little something happening in downtown. And Eduardo said, Let's, let me put all the resources of Miami-Dade College behind this thing called a book fair and let's do one. And, you know, I was, a, I was kind of your age or younger than you are now, Marcy, uh, not younger than Lisette, who's just a little older than you are. And I was in my mid-20s, and I said, okay, you know, let's do it. And under Eduardo's incredible vision and a lot of hard work, and we were able to get this thing off the ground. And little did we know that at the time that we started it, that there were only two other really book fairs of note going on in the country. There was one called New Yorkers Book Country in New York, and there was one in Boston called the Boston Globe Book Festival. And very soon, the Miami Book Fair supplanted all of those. They, they closed down those two. And we started from that 70-person book fair in which we drew tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, that first year to now where we have how many authors, Lisette? Uh, well, between authors and moderators, we have 660 authors coming this year. I think we've had like one or two cancellations. But the thing is that it, it, what's so amazing to me about this book festival that in our community is just, you know, our book festival. Everybody goes or, you know, it's always been there. But all around the country and all around the world, especially when I travel and I talk to people who are at all, like like books at all. Not even people just in the publishing industry, but in general, everybody's like, oh, well, the Miami Book Fair. And really, I, I, I think that in our own community, you know, people are so used to it, they don't see it in the same way. But once you leave Miami, it's really looked at as the most important book festival in the country. And I don't say that just because I work, I work here. I mean, it's true everywhere I go. People come from all over the country. That's another thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that um, our membership program you know, friends of the fair. Sometimes I, I'm looking through the list, you know, whatever. And there's people f that come from Seattle every year. You know, there's people that come from the Carolinas, from New York, from all up and down the East Coast, Massachusetts area, um, from the middle of the country. Well, if you're into books and into literature, there's, it's a feast. It's really literally a feast. I like to say it's a kind of, it's a kind of smorgasbord feast of all, it's a snapshot of what's great about our literature worldwide, actually. And we're in a very fertile period right now, I think. And it's never been better. And, and the fair reflects that. The other thing that I think it does for Miami is it creates the biggest tent possible under which a very diverse community can live under. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean... I mean, talk about some of the, I mean, some of the programs that we've been able to, to do that's uniquely Miami. I, we make a great effort to not just bring in so that our community can can be introduced to the new to the new books and the new voices, but we also try and reflect our community as well. So one of the things we've done in the past few years, which had been done for a long time, um, it's not a, it's not brand new, but we really kicked it up a notch with the support of the Green Family Foundation. Is our Read Caribbean program? Um, we're bringing in authors from all over the Caribbean. Just about every country, every island is represented. Um, specifically, we devote um, a big chunk of, of, the, of that programming to Haitian authors. Um, Miami has a really big Haitian community that, um, you know, I feel sometimes a little marginalized, not just because of economics and such, but the language. I mean, you know, Spanish, many, many countries speak Spanish. 
Creole, Haitian Creole, only one small country speaks it. And so in Miami, we don't um, we haven't seen that much of an effort to kind of fold Creole speakers into into the bigger picture of, um, of cultural events. So we we decided to do that a few years ago, um, raised the funds. And now we we produce the Caribbean um you know, series of events throughout the year, but with a focus during book fair uh, and the Little Haiti Book Festival, um, which is a kind of a sister event in Little Haiti that happens every May. Um, and Marcy, I think you can see that also in the poets and with the children's writers that we have coming as well. Yes, uh, we we try to definitely have one, at least one panel, if not a couple, dedicated just to featuring and highlighting Reed Caribbean authors in children's and poetry, uh, but also making sure that they're folded into other panels so it doesn't feel like we're just kind of separating them, pulling them out. Um, but but giving people a space where they, if they're looking for those authors, they can see the panels that they would definitely want to go to. And if they're not necessarily looking for them, they'll discover them among paired with some of their favorite writers. And it's not just, uh, you know, read Caribbean, um, but it's also like translation and looking at the queer community and the dis disabled community uh, and things like that. So really... Well, I think the most profound thing that I've seen in my 36 years as a bookseller is the, uh, the, the ability that we've found to be able to give voice to diversity of all kinds. I mean, mm -hmm. diversity just keeps, it keeps mushrooming in, in so many ways. And, and that's such a good thing. I mean, voices are being heard now that weren't heard in publishing sure. 35 years ago. And, uh, and that's very exciting. And, and, and one of the things that, where that's reflected is in the authors who want to come to the Miami Book Fair. Because, you know, what's really interesting is when we started this, and I, I, was, I was basically in the same role that I am now, but I didn't have the help of you guys. But when I would call a publisher in New York and I said, you know, we really want an author to come to Miami, what they would do is say, oh, we have this new non-prescription drug book out, and we'll be happy to send that author. Or we have this, you know, it's a beach read, you know, we have the new, she's just like Danielle Steele, and we want to send that author. And they just didn't understand the diversity that was Miami, or that there was some really serious reading going on here in Miami. And I think to a large extent, what we've done through the Miami Book Fair is put the lie to that. Mm. To so, in so many ways, where authors now are living here. Look at you, Marcy, you came and you're still living here. Uh, we have people in all that. We have three writing programs going on now. We have writers of all kinds. It's not just mystery writers living here. It's poets. It's essayists. It's people of all kinds, novelists. So I think that... Um, the Miami Book Fair has had everything to do with the cultural growth of Miami. Mm. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm I say saying. it. All, I mean, it was the first thing, you know. So of course, I I, I really think so. I think if it that once for, for the Miami Book Fair, we'd be a cultural wasteland. I agree 100. <laughs> percent And actually, I mean, I think we can probably substantiate that because the book fair was really the first event. I mean, the the ballet came up around, you know, at the same time or in the same years. But so and so did um, the film festival. 
But um, I, I feel like there was definitely this idea that once the book fair was seen to be as viable, that people were here that would attend, there, it became natural to think, oh, those are the same kind of people that will attend and support a ballet or will support an opera or will support. Well, so, and there were everyone, also some significant writers who were kind of, uh, you know, whose, whose careers were flourishing because of my book fair. I think of people like yeah. Carl Hyacin when Sonny Maida used to come down every year from Kanaf and check out Miami, fell in love with it and published a bunch of Miami authors. I think he published Vicki Hendricks as well from FIU and Carl Hyacin. And uh, you can just go on and on and on with people who now live here. We're happy. We, we call uh, part-time home to Russell Banks and and uh, Edward Stantecott and Gerald Stern. And it's just, you know, and just think of the people you have at FIU, like John and Campbell and Lynn and Les Standiford and University of Miami with Evelina and all the folks over there. It's just so rich now, uh, the community that we have in Miami. It wasn't always like that. And I was only half joking when I said we'd be a cultural wasteland without the Miami Book Fair. But I can't imagine what this city would be like without it. I always call it um, Miami-Dade College's gift to the community, and it really, really is because of the incredible support that we get from everybody there. We're going to take a quick break, but before I do, I want to just say, for those of you listening to this, um, and and if the book fair hasn't already happened, which is November 11th through the 18th, uh, please go to miamibookfair.com so you can buy tickets or make your plane reservations to come down. If you need, contact one of us and we'll tell you a nice hotel that you might want to stay at or an Airbnb or something like that. But go to miamibookfair.com. That's miamibookfair.com to find out what's happening. You're listening to The Literary Life and we'll be right back. Welcome to The Literary Life. I'm with Marcy and Lisette, and we're talking about the Miami Book Fair. This is the 35th Miami Book Fair. We just spoke a lot about the history of the fair, and now I want to talk a little bit about the meat and potatoes of the fair, about what's going on this year. Very excited about this program. I hope many of you are listening to this before the program is happening, so you'll be able to uh, participate in it, or even see it on C-SPAN if you're not in Miami. We also live stream it. Lisette, how do you get the live streaming of this? Um, so we're live streaming a few of the rooms, not um, the entire book festival, of course. But um, if you visit our website at miamibookfair.com, um, the nights of the week from the from the opening day, Sunday the 11th through that Friday, uh, we'll be streaming from our biggest room, Chapman Conference Center. Um, so if you want to look on the schedule online for any room, for any activity happening in the Chapman Conference Center, you could actually put in that keyword and um, and see what uh, what we have in that room you can then watch it by just you go to our website there's going to be a link that says you know watch here and you could just press on that link and then boom you'll you'll um, you know you'll come you'll get the window with the actual like proceedings whatever you want to call it but then we're also streaming on the weekend the clo- uh, the closing weekend the 17th and 18th not just from Chapman but also from the auditorium and from room 2106 so again if you look on the guide for what's going on in those rooms you'll be able to watch it all from your house and that'll be on the website that will yeah see. everything is on our website and you talk there's about there's also C-SPAN right C-SPAN uh, covers the Saturday and Sunday of the book fair 
And they, you know, C-SPAN does nonfiction, so they cover what is our largest room, which is Chapman, where we have most of our nonfiction authors. You, you mentioned the week of the fair, so let's talk about the week. The sure. structure of the fair, for those who don't know it, but all, I see somebody coming by, and we're going to order something because I'm quickly in need of a shot of uh, Café Con Leche, please, with almond milk, if you can. Marcy, what would you like? Lisette? Oh, I'm good for right now. And uh, can we also get one of those uh, coconut scones that Zach makes? Do you have one of the round coconut things? Great. That's Zach the Baker, who's one of our local greats. Yeah. But Lisette <laughs> can't eat that anymore. <laughs> I, I do on occasion, you know, holding she's, on, holding she's back being on the really sugar. really strict. Which I've been a little strict, but she's being really strict. Anyway, so it's a week. It's 11th through the 18th this year. Uh, I told you it started as two days. We've now expanded into a week where the street festival takes place on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of the fair itself. What happens the rest of the week, guys? Um, so we opened Sunday, um, the 11th, and in the past few years, we've created, you know, we wanted to to have a fun event at the opening. So we're doing a party um, at a venue that's inside the fairgrounds called The Porch. It's really just an outdoor hangout with lots of games, you know, and activities such as live music. Um, and on that opening Sunday, we do a community barbecue. Everyone's invited. The barbecue is free. Um, our sponsor, Biscayne Bay Brewery and Bacardi, will be giving out some drinks including soft drinks for those who don't drink um and um and we're going we're gonna you know just um have some live music and then the author events um that are going on that day well we have our spanish program um for those of you who are listening and don't know miami book fair in addition to um you know a couple few hundred a hundred authors in english we do have a program of all authors in Spanish from Latin America and Spain and with about 120 authors this year and we're the first one on that afternoon is Laura Esquivel who's a Mexican author uh, best known for uh, like Water for Chocolate which is made into a film um, and she's presenting a new book but we'll we'll make it available to non-Spanish speakers by providing simultaneous interpretation into English with the headsets and all of that um, and then we go on with Tina Brown former editor of Vanity Fair and The New Yorker and then um, we have another author in Spanish, Jaime Bailey, well-known TV personality um, and prolific writer. And then at 7 p.m., uh, Leanne, or Leon, I can't pronounce it with a British accent, uh, Moriarty, who is the best known for, for Big Little Lies, who's made into an HBO series. Um, but she does have a new book out um, this year that she's, um, that she's going to present. That's our Sunday. Yeah, and then there's Monday. Oh my God, there's a there's enough for. I mean, who there are really the authors? Is. What authors do we have coming on Monday? We always say there's something. There's a little something for every interest. So um, we again op- uh, open on Monday um, evening at 6 p.m. with Anna Quinlan, uh, former uh, New York Times columnist, and someone that is a is a writer that I'm, you know, that I have a lot of admiration for, whose work I really uh, like. It's difficult reads. Um, Ngugi Watsiongo, who you know is a is an African writer who was a political prisoner in Kenya for a year, and this particular this book he's um, he's presenting this year is about that year that he spent um, that he spent in in jail as a political prisoner or waiting trial. Like he never they just threw him in there, and um, it's called uh, Wrestling with the Devil 
uh, a prison memoir. For those of you who have never heard him read, it's very, very emotional, and, and he reads so beautifully. We did an event with him here at the store many years ago, and I'm very excited about that event. Yeah, well. this is, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people don't realize that, that we do have authors from all over the world that come to the fair. Um, and he's been to the fair a couple of times before, which is how I discovered him. I mean, even I discover authors every day um, in, in the work that I do for the fair. So I hope a lot of people come out. It's, it's going to be a really, really electric. Um, we do also have events on the porch every night live music literary events that don't necessarily fit into any kind of a description um we do a lot of partnerships with other organizations in miami well the idea i think for that is and you've done both of you've done such a beautiful job with it is to is to allow people in the literary community or people who who are like-minded in terms of being readers to meet hang out talk get to know one another. You know, early on in the fair, we had, we had Ernest Gaines. You all know Ernest Gaines. Well, Ernest Gaines came for one of his books, and the woman who was escorting him, uh, he, and, he took Ernest around. They ended up getting married <laughs> and moving to Louisiana. A Lesson Before Dying is Ernest's book. And so I hear stories about that a lot, about people who've met at the fair. And that's what the porch does. And that's what a lot of these um, sort of activities outside of just listening to an author allows to happen. And I know on Monday night, on Tuesday night, we have some very exciting people as well. Yeah. Well, Tayari Jones, who's an Oprah pick um, for her book, uh, American Marriage. It was long listed for the National Book Award as well. Yes, it was. Um, she's going to be here with us on Tuesday. And then, again, we have our, our writers who, um, who write in Spanish. Um, we have two sessions that night. Um, and then we, you know, we have Wednesday. Wednesday's going to be a big <laughs> night. It doesn't end. Wednesday, we have Pete Souza, who was uh, President Obama's... number one best-selling nonfiction book right now. Is it? Is it already? Yep. I, I would imagine that it is. And um, this is a this is going to be an interesting book because he's just suppo- uh, just opposing both the current president and our former it's president. It's called Shade. Uh-huh. And um, in photographs. So I'm I'm waiting to see what happens, to be you honest. You know, the Miami, it's, it's hard this year, as it was two years ago, to have the fair be about a week after the election is when we start and have the election no matter which way it goes, not affect the Miami Book Fair. And you'll see, in terms of the programming, this is the place to come if you're going to want to understand what happens on November 6th. And we have people of all different walks, all different stripes coming. And if you if you leave the Miami Book Fair not understanding what went on, I think that you haven't paid close attention. But... It doesn't mean you're not going to leave the Miami Book Fair not depressed if it doesn't go the way you want it to go. But it is somewhere where you can at least explore, you know, what's been going on politically. And it's very hard now to sit here in the cafe without mentioning um, what just went on this past week. And we sent, I personally send out, you know, just my heartfelt sadness that I'm feeling right now to all the people in Pittsburgh who have had to undergo what they've had to undergo. You know, we live in Miami, which has, I think Miami Beach is one of the largest Jewish communities, I think, in the country, if not the largest. And um, 
just to think of what people in that community had to go through is pretty, pretty, um, pretty devastating. And then not to mention also the, the scares we've had with the pipe bombers. And we hope that, you know, books bring civility and, and civil discourse back into the, back into the picture. And that's what we're trying to do by the Miami Book Fair. I think all over the country, there's communities um, are being targeted in different ways. And I mean, I, I posted something online last night, you know, because as I was going through some of the books, I've been taking, you know, I get sample books before we choose the final books. And I've been taking a lot of books home that I've been wanting to read. And one of the things that I noticed is that one of the books that I was reading um, was Rising Out of Hatred by Eli, Sas Eli Saslow, who's a, um, who's a journalist who's coming to Miami um, for the book fair. And this is a story of the godson of David Duke, um, who really, he, he was the one that modernized the rhetoric of the white, the white power movement from, you know, we hate black people and Jewish people and Asian people and other kinds of people. This is the book by Eli Sassler. Yeah, and, and this young man um, who was a prodigy, it's so weird to think of him that way, was the one that kind of changed the rhetoric from we hate people to we, this is a white preservation thing. And I'm reading this book um, at home on, on Friday and look what happens on Sunday and at the same time as I'm reading this book I mean the pipe bomb thing and then our, the black communities that are being targeted for you know um, discrimination that's built into the system I, I hope my hope for for what we do here is that people that will come and, and pick up these books and realize that every that we're not all so different from each other and there's really no need for all this to happen and all this hatred so and we, and I we, understand that's really naive and we have the thinking. we have the author of um, Spike Lee's new film as well yeah in which um, David Duke is very prominent oh yeah I mean we actually the author was the the man who infiltrated the KKK Ron Stallworth is the author right. of your Black Klansman he was he was the police officer that infiltrated the KKK and um, I haven't had the opportunity to see Spike Lee's film, but oh, it was I, excellent! It was really yeah, great. I mean, I the the book. I just it's amazing to me um, that so many years later, because this book takes place, you know, fifty years, sixty years ago, fifty years ago, no, forty years ago. My I'm an English major. Um, I don't know my numbers. Uh, you know that we're still kind of battling the same. Well, in some ways, issues. in some ways, when I, I was looking through the authors as well and the books, I mean. The, the book fair this year is to a large extent a response to the um, to the to the harshness and the the vitriol as well as the um, danger of where we find ourselves right now and there are a lot of very smart people that are coming to the Miami book fair who've tried to make sense both in fiction as well as in nonfiction of what is going on right now. And we owe it to this community, we owe it to ourselves to pay attention to those people now. Writers and poets are those who try to explain the world as, as much as possible. Talk about the poets who are coming who yeah. might fall into that category. Yeah, so Galway Canal called poets the, the canary in the, in the coal mine. Um, and I think that's true of writers, all, all genres of writers right now. We have a lot of... Uh, really politically minded poets, including Fatima Askar, who wrote "If You If They Come for Us," and she's also the uh, one of the producers and screenwriter for Brown Girls. Uh, and she's presenting with Tiana Clark, and 
Marcelo Hernandez Castillo as well as Jose Olivares. They're talking about um, the undocumented uh, communities. They're talking about what it's like to be grow up as a black woman in the South, you know, as a um, as an orphan in a, a Muslim community. And so uh, those are some some authors that I'm thinking of right off the top of my mind. Uh, we also have Erica Meitner, who is uh, she she did a, a pretty big response on Facebook after this weekend. Um, and she talks about uh, her book, Holy Moly, Carry Me, which talks about gun violence. It talks about um, what it's like to be a Jewish woman growing up in America, to be raising uh, one of her sons is adopted and uh, he happens to be African-American and what it's like to raise one son who's, who's black and one son who's not as a white woman, a white passing woman. Um, and uh, so she's presenting. We have uh, J. Michael Martinez. We have Dominique Christina and Joss Charles. Um, all people who, in their own ways, are really responding to um, many of the progresses we've made, but also the many ways in which we need we're to get failing. Better. And yes, it's a call. Yeah, and it's not about party politics. This is Mm-mm. the book fair has no. never been about party politics. It's about the exploration of ideas. And, you know, we've had people over the years of all different political stripes, whether it be, you know, Rachel Maddow the same year as George Bush, or whether it's, um, you can name them, um, but we've had them all, and uh, including uh, Vice President Cheney, as well as Al Gore. So it's really not about party politics, it's really about an exploration of ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this year more than ever, Mm-hmm. We need to understand what's happening to yeah. us. And hopefully that understanding will lead to some very significant change. It's interesting to me also that a lot of children's authors are really responding in ways to see uh, how how might parents talk to their children about what's happening in a way that uh, allows them to understand, even from picture books. Uh, Marianne Solano has a book called Something Happened in Our Town. Uh, even our, our National Ambassador for Young People's Literature this year, Jacqueline Woodson, has a book called Harbor Me, in which six kids get together in a chat room to talk about issues like deportation and family separation and racism and part, poverty and how do, how do children deal with it? I mean, those are equally important genres to be considering that you know, it's not just an adult conversation anymore. And that's what gives me a lot of hope because, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we had like Nancy Drew, you know, and that was it. <laughs> and I love Nancy, but I mean, she didn't really, she was a great role model in the sense that a young woman could go out and, and you know, defy convention in many ways. But um, the books that, that, we're, um, that we're bringing now for kids I find to be so amazing. I, it gives me a lot of hope because I think the next generation is being raised in a way that um, is going to make them a little more tolerant. But um, I know you also read Judy Bloom. I read a lot of Judy Bloom too. <laughs> I did, but you know, um, I I've always loved mysteries, and one of the things I I love about the fair is that we do not just have these books that are always about the issues, you know, in a non, oh, in, non yeah. in a in a way that's very heavy and non-fictiony. Though I do read a lot of that as well. I'm super excited about George Pelicanos, as you know. Um, George Pelicanos is, I think, is the finest crime, one of the the finest crime writers today. And um, 
you know, I think a lot of people became more familiar with him because of the deuce that uh, the show on HBO that has, you know, blew up big. Uh, he's the creator of that along with David Simon. But I was reading him from way back. And um, so and, and I want to he came to Book Fair one year. I discovered him you know a little bit before book fair but in conjunction with my book fair work and um and now that he's here this year i've been reading that book and it's interesting because it's really you know he talks a lot about what's really going on as he's writing as, as this, this entertaining mystery crime novel it's really about the city washington and gentrification and what that means and the main character one of the main characters is a voracious reader and he discovers his books you know while in jail because of a jailhouse librarian. And there's an amazing line in like, I don't know what chapter it is at the end of the chapter, which is like, even when, you know, the, the, the main character is talking to himself and he's like, even though I'm in jail through these books, I can be free, you know, because I can learn. And, I, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I, I love you, George Pelicanos. Um, <laughs> but, you know, another amazing writer who we have coming this year is Martin Solares. And I don't think enough people who read in English know who Martin Solares is because he get, he's, uh, he's Mexican. And um, he is published by Grove Atlantic, who, you know, is one of my favorite publishers. I don't think they have ever published a bad book. Um, and he, he um, his new uh, novel is Don't Send Flowers. And his books are all set in, um, in Mexico. And you know, it like involves cartel politics and, you know, small town Mexico political, you know, skullduggery and that kind of stuff. But it also really gives you uh, um, a great snapshot into the political system in Mexico and what's going on there and corruption and all of that, but in a very entertaining way. Um, and we have John Grisham coming this year. John too. Grisham, which is huge. I think this is the first time he comes to the fair, correct? <clears throat> I think it's the first time he's been in Miami for an event that I can think of. And I'm very interested about that program because he put it together himself, right? This right. wasn't you or These me or friends. Paula. It's, it's um, Hampton, Hampton Sides. Sides and David Grant. David Grant. The three of them are good friends, and they're going to kind of, I think, riff off of one another as well. You mentioned mystery writers and children's books. We have an amazing mystery writer who's written a children's book, Laura Lippman, coming. Yeah. Laura Lippman and her husband were involved in The Wire, in yeah. fact. And um, she'll be pretty remarkable. I'd like, I haven't read the kids' book yet, but I'm... It's delightful. Is it's called it? Liza Jane and the Dragon. Oh, really? In which Liza Jane fires her mother and thinks she can find a better parent, and so she hires a dragon. Oh, perfect. Chaos ensues. That is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos always ensues in a lot of those books. So, so Pete Souza is Pete coming. Souza. Yeah. Oh, we and then went, after Pete Souza. Oh, so after Pete Souza. Um, I think that same day. That same right? night. Yeah, Lawrence Wright, um, the journalist who has been at Book Fair before. He came with uh, Going Clear, which was um, his book on Scientology, and uh, this is a book uh, about Texas and Texas politics. Texas is a great big state, and it's very diverse. Even but what comes out. Um, you know, I think the rest of the country has a very one-dimensional uh, view of Texas, and um, I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't had the opportunity to do so yet. And we have another Texan coming later in the week, Julian Castro. We do. Um, Julian Castro is actually Sunday afternoon um, at the end with of the his, day. With his, he's a congressman from... Um, he's from, he's from, he was the mayor of San Antonio. The mayor. His, yeah. his twin was the congressman. Yeah, and um, he... Uh, this is a this is a it's a memoir and it's a story of of coming up 
and the opportunities that were afforded to him and um, the opportunities he took from him for himself. And um, I think he's really working hard to make um, the playing field as even as possible for all of the generations coming after him. Um, but yeah, but that's Sunday. I mean, you, that's a, almost at the end and of the day. And then we have a whole, then we have most of the writers coming on Saturday and Sunday. But Thursday we have Doris Kearns Goodwin, right? We do. Um, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin is a uh, is a historian, and um, her new um, her new book that she's presenting that night. Um, God, I'm completely blanking out right now. That's okay. But we all know Doris, and she'll be she'll be pretty oh, remarkable. My God, right. I, I I had an idea that this was. Um, the, it's leadership in turbulent times, and what he's looking at is um, what she does best, which is the lives of, the, of our presidents. Um, Team of Rivals was one of her last books. This one um, is on Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. Um, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what she has to say. She's always very interesting. Um, I see her on the news pretty often these days. And then Friday night, we always do the National Book Award Long we do, list. but we forgot about April Ryan. And April Ryan. April Ryan, who comes in right after Doris Kearns Goodwin. And, um, you see her in every House White House press conference, right? Yeah. And then we have the weekend. And on the weekend, we've got, God, we've got so many wonderful writers coming. I, <clears throat> I would recommend making sure that you go see Deborah Eisenberg or Michael Andaje as well. Michael's written uh, probably one of the finest books that I've read this year called Warlight, which is really so beautifully written and it's it's quintessential Michael Andaje in that it takes you off in all these different directions and sometimes it gets all tied together and sometimes it doesn't, but it's okay because he's taken you down these, these roads. Michael will be there. So will Chase Twitchell, who's a marvelous poet, and she'll be there. And then I also like the work of Linda Spaulding. She's a Canadian writer, and she's pretty, pretty excellent. And I heard her read this summer, and she's great. And so make sure you point that out. And then it's just too many to go through all of them. Well, I think one session Marcy and I are going to sneak into. We were we Marcy recommended this book to me when I was kind of stuck for what to read next and it was Circe uh, by Madeline Miller which is a retelling of the Odyssey from the point of view of Circe who is such a minor cat such a ma minor part of of the Odyssey but everyone kind of remembers her as as the siren that would lure um the the sailors onto her island and then turn them into pigs so but Marcy and I both read it what what did you think of this book oh my gosh I'm obsessed it's a beautiful cover. I mean, that's the book you buy for the cover, <laughs> but it's also just a gorgeous read at the, at the sentence level and then the craft and the plot. Um, I, I got sucked into it. I think I read it over a whole weekend and it's not a small book. No. Um, and she's going to be in conversation with the first woman to translate the Odyssey. And I'm Emily Wilson. I'm particularly, I've always loved books. I'm a feminist. I mean, I, all women should be, but I am. And um, I've always been really interested in books by women who, that take an original, um, you know, uh, like myth or whatever it is, or a book and or an epic in this case, and and sort of turn it around and look at it from the women's point of view. And that started for me with Marion Zimmer Bradley, the uh, the sci-fi writer, right. 
who did a book um, who sort of turned the myth of um, Arthur, you know, King Arthur around and, and told her from the point of view of women. And so I recommend everyone to, to come in and, and listen to this lady speak on Saturday. That's one of my one of the ones that I want to sneak into. And, and we can't list everybody or mention everybody. If we've left anybody out, go explore the website. Look to see who you want to hear. And if you're in Miami, come. If you're not in Miami, make sure you get here. And if you can't do any of those things, read their books. Oh, absolutely. And um, I just want to thank both of you for being on The Literary Life with me, talking about the book fair. Um, you guys have been remarkable. And, and you know, you're, I see you as representative of all of those amazing people at the Miami Book Fair who make this thing happen and at Miami-Dade College. And I just, you know, I often feel like I'm kind of an honorary professor there or something. I, my, my heart is with this college. And for those of you who don't know Miami-Dade College, it's the largest, pretty much the largest college, I think, in the country. It just is, about, actually. By, by enrollment. And it's the kind of place where if you're an immigrant in Miami and you don't have the money, you can still go to Miami-Dade College. And you can end up, if you go through their honors program, for instance, you can end up as three students just did at MIT. They went to Miami-Dade for two years, and they're finishing up at MIT. It's one of the great examples of what we can do in this country when given the resources, when given, um, when, when people give other people a chance and when they feel like other people deserve a chance and don't look at other people as others yeah absolutely and education and I think that's one of the things that makes me um, so proud of being part of this organization which is that um, you know if you have nothing and you can get yourself a book somehow you can learn something and you know one book at a time you can you know you can rise out of whatever your circumstances are and find a new life for yourself. So. I should also say real quick, check out Marcy's poetry. She's a published poet. What's the name of your book? Called Hour of the Ox. Hour of the Ox. Make sure you check it out. Read it. It's really, really good. And I want to thank all of you for being uh, with us to hear about the Miami Book Fair today on The Literary Life. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts. And also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life. <laughs>